0: All right, we're gonna go ahead and get started this morning. Everybody else will be in here shortly. I'm sure um, so this week we were reading jeremiah two one through three five um, just to kind of recap a little bit of last week, we saw uh basically God's call to Jeremiah. we saw. That, as a point of application, that there is a general call to all who are God's for sure uh, to His elect, and of course we have the, the the most wonderful call that we have in our lives as, as as God's children is to call to salvation. So He calls us to Himself, and then He calls us to things that um, in life, which I think is a, is a wonderful thing. Uh, to start this particular section of the scripture, um. I wanted to give you a main idea statement that I thought was very good um, and it was in it was in a commentary by Stephen Smith It's a commentary I'm using quite a bit in this but he may it, it makes a very important point about this whole section, and I think maybe about God in general and about god as as it pertains to our lives as well, but that main idea statement is the God. Who committed to never leave us is the same God who committed to never leave us in sin the God who committed to never leave us is the same God who committed to never leave us in sin. The reading begins as you as you can see in the first few verses as a kind of a remembrance of young love um, a, a a new marriage a honeymoon so to speak um And it's kind of a, I think, a reminder that God is giving at at the very first to his audience through Jeremiah to kind of, let's remember where we started this thing. Um, He said something very telling. God says something very telling. He says, Israel was holy to the Lord. Israel was holy to the Lord. We see that in verse 3 where it says that. That was how that relationship began. if you remember that at the beginning, after the golden calf incident and all that and 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 they began kind of getting their act together, especially as joshua was was bringing them into the promised land, they were setting aside the 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 parts of the grain and stuff that they were supposed to do you know they were doing all of this a lot of the steps that they God had asked them to do in uh in Joshua twenty four twenty four, it says this. Um, this is kind of the end of the end of Joshua, and and he's brought them into the promised land. And Israel says this to Joshua. Joshua doesn't say that Israel must do this. This is what Israel says to Joshua. It says, "We will serve the Lord our God, and we will obey His voice." That was their choice to say that. So, it was a honeymoon at that time. Israel was. The, the the children of israel were doing what they were supposed to be doing so to speak but in this kind of retelling and recapping of what's happening in that in that relationship verse uh, chapter 3 verse 8 is coming and chapter 3 verse 8 is pretty clear it says and we haven't this isn't part of our reading but it's kind of a a picture of where we're going with why we're going to go through what we're going to go through it says, and I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away to be, and given her a writ of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, and she went and was a harlot also. So Israel and Judah, both had gone the way of being an adulteress in a marriage or an adulterer. So this reading, I think, gives us the anatomy of a divorce. And I hope at the end we'll see hope because there is hope at the end of this, right? Um, and I hope it leaves us kind of with a wonderful an understanding of like the wonder of Christ's redemption and what he has done for us on the cross. So as we begin, there are two <coughs> in, this, in this set of scripture, I think there's two diagnosed issues, that we see in this divorce. If you're familiar with divorce, I hope none of us um, get too familiar with divorce, but if you're familiar with divorce, there's always those writ of reason, you know. They write down, it's because of this, it's because of that, you know, irreconcilable differences, adultery, all these things. They'll put that in the divorce papers. Well, in this, God begins to diagnose what the issue is. And I want to read verses 5 through 8. And give you the first one. It says, thus says the Lord. What injustice did your fathers find in me? That they went far from me. And walked after emptiness. And became empty. They did not say. Where is the Lord? Who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. Who led us through the wilderness. Through a land of deserts and pits. Through a land of drought. And deep darkness. Through a land that no one crossed. And where no man dwelt. (coughs) I brought you. ...into the fruitful land, to eat its fruits and its good things. And you, became, you came and defiled my land, and my inheritance you made an abomination. The priests did not say, Where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things. That did not profit. The first diagnosed issue in this situation is that Israel, in Judah, has forgotten what God had done for them. They've forgotten God delivering them from Egypt and bringing them into a new land that was full of a land flowing with milk and honey. Right, with where they had to, where two guys had to carry a, a sprig of grapes. Right, I mean they they're brought into a land that was bountiful. And they have forgotten all about that, it seems like. Now, here's, here's an indictment that I think is important. Notice where it goes at the end. It was the leaders that had failed them on every level. The, the leaders of the church, the priests, and the rulers had, had, had gone a way that was not the way that they were shown by God to go. Verse eight is clear that they, they had left God's word and law. His law wasn't even read by the priest anymore. It says that they they don't say, Where is the Lord? They don't they don't they don't as they handle the law, they don't they don't look to it for any type of guidance anymore. And thus, which way did they go? Did they go seeking God another way? No, they were led in this way and they Willingly went towards idols, into idolatry, and we see this. I think in, I think we see this in the modern church quite a bit with the perversions that we see of who God is. You know, my God wouldn't do that. My God does this and this and this, and it's not the God of the Bible. And we see it's easier for the people if they're not led to go that way. and And in fact, if you look, you see the vulnerability of that, and you see the, and that's why the the leaders are held to that higher standard to to lead the people in a way that is biblical and godly. When we see, it's how so many run to other things. That's why they run to other things. They're not led towards towards Christ towards God. They so they're going to run to something else. Many of us have always. You probably heard the the God-shaped hole analogy. Every person's got a God-shaped hole in their heart. No, every, every person's heart without Christ is dead, and they run towards something that they think is going to give them life. And there is no life outside of Christ. We know that. And God is clear. His Leaving his word behind, doing away with it, not letting it be the standard by which we we know him and by which we learn things about him and how we live, it's going to lead to terrible things. Not just, and, and, and we see it here. We see it in this country, this, this nation of Judah. We see it and how he talks about how that was the same thing for Israel. Israel did it, and now Judah's doing it. You see, he, and, and it's, it's the way that they're going because of leaving behind the word. Um, Stephen Smith said in the commentary, and I thought it was a very interesting one, the greatest concern in the church may not be the people reject God outright, like that no, there is no God, but that they neglect his word. You see, the preacher must fill their mouths with God's word. That's what we, as elders, we hope to, to, to fall into that standard, that we fill our mouths with God's word in our church but all we have to do is look around and we see that there's a lot of of preachers who don't and here's why why was why must we fill our mouths with, with his word Stephen Smith also said the word is the source of life because in the word we find Jesus and in Jesus we find the father so The key is pointing to the Word and showing Christ through the Word and showing the the joy and the peace that we have in Him and, and letting that be what is is the main focus. And, you know, we can say our church is strong. You know, there's a lot of churches that say they're strong because they have a lot of people there. Um, they have awesome members who volunteer, and they have... Uh, they do great things in their community and do outreaches and and they read their bible plans and they have preachers who have a great or there's some that have preachers have a great knowledge of the bible but we cannot neglect the word we cannot neglect it it cannot just be something that we take in our intellect and and never let it be part of changing our lives and 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 reforming us in some way unto the image of the Christ. Um, because the word of God stirs the affections for God to know his word, to love his word, to desire his word is to know that that, that this God that has made this great way of redemption for me should stir my affections for him. Therefore, the more I know, the more I love his word, the more I I would, I would love him, you know, because, um, I could get up on a on a Sunday morning and I could preach a stirring sermon and and everybody think it's the greatest sermon I've ever preached, but if i it's like it's like the word says right but if I don't have love and that love for God and that and that desire more for him and that love for the others around me, it's just tinkling symbols. The second diagnosed issue that we see here is that we find Judah. In this case, and Israel in the case of, of, of verse 8 where it's talking about, you know, Israel did this and now, Judah, you're doing the same thing. What we find is they're trying to find their affection in something else or someone else. They're searching for something else. Um, verse 25 contains a very telling phrase. And this is God talking to Judah and it says, For I... It's it's him speaking for them. It's him saying, "This is what you're saying to me." For I have loved strangers, and after them I will walk. They had truly forgotten who their love was, and now they were chasing something else, someone else, strangers. They were looking to these useless idols. They were. And this was all facilitated, honestly, by the priesthood. They were meant to lead the people to God through his word. And we find, you know, several places in scripture where they were adding Baal and other things into the temple area and and allowing idolatry within the temple. But here's the thing. They were meant to lead the people through his word. You, did they have other things that they had to do? Yeah, they, had to, they were supposed to make the sacrifices they were supposed to make, right. they were supposed to take in the tenth or whatever they were going to take in. They were supposed to do all these things, but their, their purpose was to lead the people to God through his word, and they weren't doing that. But our hearts, honestly, if we're, if we're an honest group of folks, it's, our hearts are always going to lean towards idolatry. We're always going to be looking for some cool next new thing or something in that way. And it isn't just that we forget his word and look for something else. In the case of Israel and Judah, their hearts were already inclined towards the idols. And, you know, we see John John Calvin, he, desired, he, he described the heart very well, I think. He said, man's heart is a perfection perpetual factory of idols we're always wanting an idol of some sort but here's the thing absence from the word keeps us from seeing the sun their absence from the word kept them from seeing the God who had delivered them from Israel so what we see is they've forgotten what God had done they're chasing after other things and because they're chasing after these other things it's very hard for them to ever see what God had really had already done for them. So they easily drift. And that's that's unfortunately a condition that we see in our in, in, in every part of life. In Christianity, in you know throughout history, we see a drift. There's always a drift and we've got to always bring ourselves back one place and that's just to God's word. Judah had completely turned to the Baals. Jeremiah gave several metaphors about what this looked like. There several metaphors that he gave, how he described what they were doing by turning to these idols as opposed to him. He described them as slaves. You're slaves to these things. You're prey for other nations. Because you're so focused on the Baals, I, I'm going to remove my hand of protection from you and you're going to be prey for other nations. A prostitute. That's very clear. We know what a prostitute is and what a prostitute does. He said, you are a choice vine that has become a wild vine. (laughs) Here's one of the worst ones. You're a donkey in heat. Seeking after some other love constantly. A shamed thief. A thief who got caught and is shamed how about this one? You're a bride without a wedding dress. What a day that would be to have your wedding day and you're the bride and you're ready to go out and everybody's like, so where's your wedding dress? And you're like, oh, that's what I forgot. But I think the most telling is uh, in Jeremiah 2.13. Listen to this. For my people have committed two evils, They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God is the source of living water, and they replace God with leaky, broken cisterns that will never hold water. Israel and Judah, they're God's people. God chose them, and they left him. They had found other lovers, and this is this is adultery. This is adultery. Make no mistake. And it seems as if God files for divorce in verse three eight, right? He, he and 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 this is the thought that came to my head: Would would God ever divorce His church? Uh, and that's a hard question to think on. You know, many who call themselves part of the church are leaving Him for other things. They're leaving for other enjoyments. But his elect are his forever. But will he always bear with the visible church? And by visible church, I mean those people, I mean buildings with signs that say church and, you know, people gather there. Will he always bear with the visible church, replacing him and his word with other lovers and making broken cisterns? And to me, that's food for thought. And I think that's why we pray for the visible church, that God would turn their hearts back to him as he... Is trying to do with Judah right here in Jeremiah. But here's the thing. Will God actually divorce from his people, his elect? Will he actually divorce them? Listen to what verse 3-1 says. God says, if a husband divorces his wife and she goes from him and belongs to another man, will he still return to her? Will not that land be completely polluted? But you are a harlot with many lovers, yet you turn to me, declares the Lord. God will not finally and fully divorce his bride, his elect. Why? Because he has made a covenant with us to always be with us, to never leave us nor forsake us, right? So what is this divorce-like situation we see here? That God will will bring his elect back to himself. He will bring them back. Look at verse 219. It says, your own wickedness will correct you and your apostasies will reprove you. Know therefore and see... That it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God, and the dread of Me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. He is going to discipline this evil and adulterous people in order to turn them back to Him. We've heard, we've all heard the phrase, you know, uh, that God works all things together for good of. Those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? I did a, a good study on that and I found out what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that bad stuff's going to come along and God's going to find a way to make it good for you. No, he, whatever it is, whatever he brings to our lives, it is for our good to draw us closer to him. So I want to take from this um, set of scripture, I want to take five important things that we should meditate on, chew on this week, and and to hopefully help change our hearts and our lives. The first is that our sinfulness is great. Sin in and of itself is treason against the Holy God. That's what it is. And we will never be able to be good enough on our own because we easily forget. And we're drawn towards other idols. It's made very clear that God's law is perfect, right? And guess what? We aren't and we can't keep it. Therefore, our sinfulness being so great, that leads us to a need in our life for a Savior. Which should point us directly to God's Son. The second thing is God may bring us to times of discipline and even suffering to turn us back to him. And when he does, we that's the purpose of, of, of those things in our lives, is that we are to turn to him, to run to Christ. The third thing is God will never finally and fully leave us because of Jesus Christ's work. His work is enough. His work is finished. And if you are in Christ, you are his. And if we are his, then we have joy in that. The fourth thing is, knowing these things should spur us to worship him even more. To desire to love him even more. Because this is such a wonderful thought. That no matter how sinful I've been in my life, no matter how many times my heart turns towards idols or towards other things or or pulls away from him, no matter how many times... His love for me will not end, and His love for me is sure and set because of Christ. And lastly, and I think this is probably the overarching theme of the entire study, is that we desperately need God's Word because it brings us to Christ. It brings us straight to Jesus. And we need to see Jesus in all these things, and that's why when we read, you know these things during the week for to prepare for the next week. Uh, that's why I ask you to have those two questions in mind: How do I see Christ in this word, and how does this word cause me to uh, see God more clearly and love Him more dearly? And that's the that's, those are good questions that we can ask ourselves while reading. So I pray that this study has been pretty has been good for you this week. For next week, we're reading verses 3-6 through 4-4. And, uh, Junior, do you mind closing out in prayer?